you need to go in having a sense of what you want to do and where you think you're going to end up. And so I went in knowing I want to strengthen my skill set in marketing. And I think the ultimate way to do that is to end up at... Amy Schumacher knows ice cream. As the ice cream category manager at Tillamook Creamery, she's the one who decides what, if any, flavors need to be added or removed from the portfolio. The one who has to be ahead of the trends, or at the very least, able to recognize and shrug them off if they don't meet Tillamook standards. With a passion for brand building and a love for taking action, Amy has experienced beefing up and diversifying the brands we all know and love, from Del Monte to Teleflora, and attending one of the country's best business schools at Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management. But what's the path that led her to one of Oregon's most iconic brands? What advice does she have for those looking to rise up in big and small companies? And what does being a branded category manager even mean? I'm Zoe Davis, and today on How I Got Here, Amy Schumacher takes us on a journey and shows us the power of raising your hand. Let's get started. So where are you from? So I'm from a small beach town in Orange County, California, which is about 45 minutes south of Los Angeles. Um, And funny enough, growing up, we never went to L.A. um, because it was too far with the traffic and my parents never wanted to get on the 405. Um, so when I started thinking about colleges, going to LA seems like far and exotic and different. And I um, toured a bunch of schools um, and ultimately UCLA just felt right to me. Like when I went and did the campus tour, I thought it was beautiful. I just felt like I fit there. Um, and I, my high school was massive. I had 700 kids in my graduating class. So I was kind of scared about going to a small school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, the, the bigness of UCLA, um, was kind of a draw for me and, um, and was excited too, because I mean, it's a great school and I didn't know what I wanted to, to study, but I felt that. Um, wherever I landed at UCLA in terms of my field of study, that it would probably be a good program. Mm -hmm. And so that gave me some permission to play around and and explore a bit before I ultimately landed on economics. Oh, okay. So when you chose economics, how many other programs had you been kind of dabbling with before? So I, I came in undeclared and I really just started focusing on like my my general requirements. So I started ticking the box on a bunch of different classes. And I, I took, um, I was taking like Spanish language. I was taking, like I took a sociology class. Um, I took some music theory cause I really love music and I, um, was in band in high school. And so it was, that was like kind of keeping a piece of me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, with me, cause it, that's a big change from like high school to college where you're like, this was my, this defined my every day. And now I don't have that as part of my day. Right. Um, took some poli sci. Um, I mean, gosh, I think like, and definitely then like, you know, math and, and econ classes just as general requirements, some astrology that I hated. Um, <laughs> A lot of sciences that were just not not my thing. Um, and again, I think I I landed on economics because it's broad mm-hmm. and it requires like a broad skill set. And UCLA has a program where you can put a um, 
you can choose to have an international focus. And so that's what I did. And so that brought in like the Spanish side of things. I chose Europe as my um, region to focus on because um, this was like pre 9-11 and the world was a very different place. Absolutely. Um, and I, I wish I had chosen a different region to focus on. Um, but it that required me to take language, um, political science, history related to my region. So I was still getting a lot of, um, you know, depth in different areas. But then, you know, econ is like really practical, like the math piece of it. And I knew that, you know, that it would be uh, well received in terms of like, oh, that's a, you know, that's kind of a rigorous um, coursework. And so again, I guess I was kind of punting on <laughs> making life decisions. Right. Um, but decided that that lended itself to a lot of different potential paths down the road. And did you, I know you went to Northwestern for grad school. Did you immediately, right when you graduated, go to Chicago? Um, or did you take some time in between? No, yeah. I worked for about six years okay. in between. And if you had asked me in undergrad if I was going to business school, I would have been like, no. <laughs> I have friends who took the GMAT our senior year of college. And I thought, what are they doing? Like, like what a waste of time and money. You know, <laughs> um, It really was not on my radar at all. Um, and really kind of grad school in general wasn't really on my radar. Um, I graduated. It was 2002. It wasn't a great job economy and um, which was okay by me because it was an awesome opportunity to not go to work full time. So I, um, a friend of mine, a co- college girlfriend of mine, we decided that we should move to London and get work visas. And so we did that for six months and, you know, had delightful jobs that paid the bills and allowed us to like run around London and, and um, kind of get our feet wet in the working world in a totally new place. That sounds which amazing. Was really, yeah, which was really great. And we were like super broke. Um, as most college students are after graduation. Yeah. <laughs> it was a blast. So what did you do after you came back from London in between grad school? Where were you working? Were you kind of just dabbling in between places or did you find one place that you were like, okay, this seems okay? Yeah, I um, got a job at a smaller company. Um, they're actually now, they're still fairly small, but um, most people are familiar with a lot of their brands. So like Fiji Water okay. and Palm Wonderful. Uh, wonderful pistachios. They also have a business called Teleflora, and Teleflora is really their cash cow. Gotcha. Um, it's been around for years, um, decades, and the premise is that um, there's independent florists that pay a fee to be part of this network of florists, and um, and so Telef- and then through that, there's orders that are gathered and sent. So if I you know, living in Portland, want to send flowers to my mom in Orange County, I could walk into a Portland florist that I know and trust, and she would find a florist in the network in Southern California and like place the order over what used to be like a wire. And now is, you know, now there's .com and that business has changed a lot. Mm Um, but yeah, I, I, um, started there and actually started as a, let's see, my, I think my exact title was credit card analyst. Uh, it was not fun. Uh, it was such like a, you know, a stepping stone. 
Mm-hmm. Own character. Yeah, and I think that's really important is that, like, there's opportunity in everything. And what I loved about that company and that job, and I was actually there for five years and progressed um, to different opportunities. And when I left, I was um, marketing manager for their suite of technology solutions that they uh, – so I was marketing to the florist to get them to buy into some of these marketing solutions. Yeah. And um, because it was 100 people – you know, if you showed a lot of initiative and you did your job well and you raised your hand, like people would give you more work and better projects. And and so that was a really good learning and that there's a lot of opportunity that exists where you are currently and that you don't always need to go elsewhere to seek it. Um, so I had was exposed to this really cool project early on um, around gift cards, electronic gift cards. And it's so funny to think, like, this was very uh, technologically advanced. It was very of the time. Yeah, Yeah. it was, like, cutting edge. And um, so it was interesting. It intersected with the world I was in at the time, which was more on, like, the credit card processing side. And But I really wanted to get over to the marketing side. And so that project allowed me to do that. So it showed that I had the chops to, to, to make that move and then use that as a way to sell myself in to, to the marketing side of the organization. Well, that's the way to do it. Keep raising your hand and people will eventually yeah. notice you and hopefully throw you the work that you're really interested yeah. in. And definitely had awesome bosses and mentors that were looking for, you know, what are ways to make your work more fulfilling and more enjoyable every day? Oh, I love that. That's so nice to hear. Um, so after that, you transitioned to Beam, which is a uh, spirits and wine distributor, I'm assuming. Yeah. they. Um, so I actually went to business school from Teleflora. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. So I went to business school and I went full time and went to Northwestern um, and I, the, how I got there was basically like once I'd made that internal move at Teleflora mm-hmm. and was doing like all of this day-to-day marketing, I realized like how much of my work I was just relying on like my gut mm-hmm. versus like I didn't have like the tools um, to evaluate creative or to determine like if this is a strategic opportunity for us. Um, and I'm like, you know, I really would like to have more tools in my toolkit. Yeah. <laughs> and I have friends, this is like where, you know, surrounding yourself with really smart and, and awesome people is important too, because I, at this point had several friends who were either in grad school or pursuing that path. And so it was helpful to have um, people to talk to and, and kind of get a sense of why they are going to business school or why they were pursuing grad school. And it just made sense. It was it um, was kind of a good time to leave Teleflora, and I realized how much I didn't know. And um, I thought, well, if I can get into Northwestern, which is a top marketing school, like mm-hmm. if they'll have me, I will go. Oh, absolutely! I feel like most people in the marketing world like put Northwestern's Kellogg School on top of a pedestal. Yeah. Understandably so. It was my dream school. Yeah. Like I had always wanted to go to Northwestern and then I came to Portland and now I'm like, maybe I'll just do grad school at Kellogg. Yeah. yeah. It's a great opportunity. It's all possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after uh, Northwestern, you graduated. Um, did you feel like you wanted to stay in the Midwest or did you have like a pull towards a certain region or a company? I, you know, the, one of the challenges of 
business school, especially going full time, mm-hmm. is um, you don't have the luxury of discovering yourself. And I'm not the only person that'll say that. Like a lot of people will say that. Like go, you need to go in having a sense of what you want to do and where you think you're going to end up. And so I went in knowing I want to strengthen my skill set in marketing. And I think the ultimate way to do that is to end up at a consumer packaged goods company, right? Like a classic CPG company mm-hmm. and where you're, it's also an awesome training ground. And so I was open in terms of where that might be geographically, but I also like you start recruiting the beginning of your second year for full-time opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, like I'd spent all my life in California and one year in Chicago. Yeah. So there was a lot of pull to go back to California and also just like, well, it's what I know. I'll just lean there. And, um, I, I, you know, I wish I had stayed in Chicago for a little bit longer. I think it's an awesome city and mm-hmm. it's such a fun city to be in, especially since so many of my classmates stayed in Chicago, you know, you have like an awesome built in network, which is always a plus. Absolutely. So from that transition, uh, did you go to beam after that? So BEAM was my internship. Oh, okay. Yeah, so in between my first year and my second year, most students take an internship. It's a way to kind of try on, right? Like, yeah. Like, one, make use of everything you learned year one. And, right. And also to see, like, okay, is this really, I think I want to do consumer goods marketing, but let's go test the waters for 10 weeks and um, see how it goes. So that um, BEAM is... Um, you know, beam the, um, the Jim bro- beam. Yeah. Jim beam. Um, so they have a bunch of other brands in their, um, portfolio and I was uh, fortunate to work on with the innovation team. I had a couple projects and, uh, just really good learning experience to, you know, just kind of figure out like, okay, what do I, have I learned anything? And, um, for me, it confirms that, you know, I really enjoy, um, the marketing side, and, but they, you know, it just, I decided not to stay in Chicago. So where did you go after that? Could you kind of show us a timeline or I guess, tell us a timeline of <laughs> life after grad school? Cause I know yeah. there's quite a few people, especially at Portland state who, um, go to grad school after being in the industry for a couple of years. And they're trying to kind of, like you said, transition and find what they really, really want to do. Um, so could you kind of explain what that path looked like for you after you graduated grad school? Mm-hmm. So um, when I graduated, I accepted a full-time offer with Del Monte Foods. Um, at the time, they were located in downtown San Francisco. They're still in the Bay Area. Um, it was, you know, awesome location. Definitely checked all the boxes in terms of the lifestyle piece. Um, and then also just the right size company for me. And I think that's a really important thing to think about. And this is a, this is a, uh, theme of my career is that, you know, if the company gets too big, um, you lose a little bit of ownership sometimes, or like you're, you're kind of only working with a a smaller piece of the puzzle. And I love having, I like having ownership, but I also like having the oversight over kind of bigger pieces of business as well. Mm-hmm. And so smaller to medium-sized businesses allow that. And Delmani fell into that world. 
especially compared to like a Kellogg's or Kraft or P&G. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely bigger than Tillamook where I'm at now, but for compared to a lot of its, um, in, you know, industry colleagues, right. it's a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. And so that definitely appealed to me. And they had a reputation for being very data-driven and very analytical. And I knew that that was probably my weakness. You know, like I felt more comfortable on the strategic side and on the um, like marketing strategy side. And so I felt like, well, it's good. I'll strengthen that skill set um, and, you know, and get exposure to, to a lot of different uh, elements of marketing in the, in the process. And did you kind of, what, so what was your day-to-day like at Del Monte or is it kind of similar to what you're doing here in terms of category management or? Yeah, it's definitely similar. So I started as, uh, you start out as like an associate brand manager, right? And so there's, you're, you're an associate, then you're like a senior associate, <laughs> and then you're a brand manager. Right. And you hope to do that within three to five years. Um, and so when I first started, I was on, um, the tomato business, which is not a sexy business. <laughs> and I was on the least sexy of the unsexy, which was ketchup and spaghetti sauces. Very sexy in my and, opinion. <laughs> like, they are businesses that basically exist to use, um, scrap from the more profitable cut tomato business. So, mm-hmm. Um, that's the business that's generating all of the profit for the company. And this is essentially like, let's just cover our, um, you know, our variable and fixed overhead costs with these other product lines. And I think someone literally said to me, like when I started, like, just, you know, just hit your number and don't mess it up, you know, like, so it wasn't a very like aspirational segment (laughs) and we weren't doing any traditional marketing. It was very, um, Right, like sales and promotion focused. Mm-hmm. So we would, if we went on deal for a dollar, we generated a lot of volume. And so just about getting that right promotional calendar and just just run the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but like anything, there's opportunity. So uh, I had a cost optimization project where we were trying to find dollars um, to make the the line even more profitable. And it was a super cross-functional initiative. Um, I got a ton of exposure to a lot of different people across the business. So cross-functional meaning like the finance team, the the plant manager at the tomato plant, um, the engineering team, packaging R&D, you know, food R&D. The whole shebang. Everybody. And it was really rewarding and... um, you know, I did a great job. And, and so then I moved to another business, which was um, the broth business. And the brand um, is College Inn, which is a funny name, um, but it's the number one broth on the East Coast. It's a very regional brand. It definitely is. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's very well loved. It's a great product. Uh, but then I was, you know, I was the only... Um, kind of brand person on that brand team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a ton of ownership and that was great. Um, so I did that for, I don't know, maybe a year. And then a really cool opportunity opened up again, because I showed like a lot of initiative and was always volunteering to do things. Like when I was on the tomato business, I volunteered to write all the social posts um, for the Contadina brand because we were scrappy and like 
you know, there were not a lot of dollars to go around mm -hmm. um, in those days. And so I had a colleague that knew that I had a lot of passion for like social digital. And so uh, Del Monte brand was rebranding itself. And uh, they were, you know, there was a smaller team that was hyper focused on it. And so I got to join that team and um, really like a marketer's dream to say like, okay, let's hit the pause button and let's look at our business holistically. And do we, are we talking to the right consumer and are we telling them the right thing and what really matters to them? Um, and so we redid kind of our brand um, communications hierarchy and then do we have the right products to satisfy their needs? Um, and, and so we, once we got all that kind of sorted out, then we launched a big brand refresh campaign where we had all new positioning, all new strategy, new target consumer, um, and and then blew that out um, on the social digital front, and I specifically owned that. So that was really fun. That had to be super rewarding as well to just fully have so much um, time and effort spent in that and then see it come to fruition in such a great way. Because doing a you know total rehaul of a brand yeah. is difficult. It it's is. incredibly challenging, especially in consumer packaged goods. Um, but it's great to hear that you had like a great experience with yeah. that after years of kind of like not being able to fully own your work. Right. Yeah. It was really rewarding because, um, I had a great team, which is always helps. <laughs> there was really good leadership in place and, um, there was a very clear playbook. And I think that helps too, is that there was a roadmap that said, here's the work that we need to do and here's how we're going to do it. And so there was like, everyone knew what the plan was. We mm -hmm. were all on this path together. Yeah. So it wasn't unclear, like, even though there was a lot of work and it was challenging and like, you know, it was hard, you knew like, okay, we're, you know, we're making progress and um, you had a clear sense of like what you were supposed to be doing on that given day. Absolutely. That's so helpful. And so like nice to hear that yeah. bigger companies are still allowing people to kind of um, concisely understand what they're trying to do. Because I think there is when you're in a big company like that, it can be challenging because there's a lot of personality and there's a lot of opinions about what mm -hmm. should be done and having a really straight cut and clear, like, no, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And this person is going to help. And this person is going to help. Yeah. That's definitely. great. Definitely. Um, so kind of transitioning into your work here at Tillamook, could you kind of explain what led you up to Oregon? Cause I, mm -hmm. you told me that you had never lived in Oregon, yeah. really didn't even know what Tillamook was in the first place. Um, could you kind of just explain your pathway up here and what you're doing now? Yeah. Um, so I, I knew Tillamook brands growing up in California, mm -hmm but really knew the cheese, right? And had some exposure to the ice cream um, in California, but but really it had just started to show up in like the Safeways in, in Northern California. Um, so I, I, I had admired a lot of the marketing that Tillamook was doing when I was at Del Monte. Mm -hmm. Because when I was on the broth business, we had a lot of recipe strategy it was like, cause no one, you know, no one just eats broth alone. Right. right exactly. <laughs> well, now they do, but the not bone broth. The bone not, broth right. is a huge trend. Yeah, That trend was not happening when I worked on broth. So it was, you know, getting people to make their couscous with broth and soups and casseroles, right. The roast chickens. Um, and so we were really focused on, do we have the right recipes? 
and putting the recipes on our packaging and making sure that it tied into social, all those good things. And Tillamook at the time was doing a lot of cool stuff with like um, Portland chefs that had like their own sandwich recipes, right? So it was about getting Tillamook cheddar on, um, you know, like bunk bar or something, right? So, and I remember just looking at the website and being on their um, Facebook page and be like, oh yeah, they're doing like some really cool stuff. Like I, I loved the aesthetic of it and just thought that the strategy was was really good. Um, so that was on my radar and, but hadn't really thought anything of it. Mm-hmm. And I left Almani. Um, I was there for five years. Um, and when I left Almani, I was in an innovation role, which I loved, um, but just wanted to try something new. And I went to a small company called Green Toys. And it was only 18 people. And it was a really good learning experience um, because I learned that 18 people is too small for me. Absolutely. Understandable. <laughs> I learned that, well, I can wear many hats. I don't necessarily want to. <laughs> or not all the time. Um, and I missed... I, I had... I owned the demand side of marketing, but I was not um, integrated into the product side. Mm. So there was a design team that was creating the toys, and then it was my job to generate demand for them. And I really missed being close to the product. One, because I just felt like um, I think those things, you know, should, in like, they overlap, right? And I think if you're doing it well, they definitely overlap. Mm-hmm. And, um, and constantly to, I'm sure the frustration of the design team was constantly like interjecting my opinions. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, did you think about, you know, does it do this? Cause it, and they're like, no, you know, like, how did you land on that price point? You know, like, and, mm-hmm. and so I just constantly was trying to get closer to the product and wasn't using all this general management skills either. Right. So like I had no ownership of the P and L I, I wasn't responsible for like, generating like the volume per se it was really just about like raising awareness with um with our consumer target so I felt like I was only getting to work on like one piece of the puzzle and um and really missed food Mm -hmm. um and decided like okay you know this isn't exactly the opportunity that I was hoping it would be and so when I decided to it was time to move on um was really focused on getting back to food and focused on um, getting back to a role that had that was product focused mm-hmm. and um, had some innovation component. And so Tillamook has all that. So that's the cool thing. And I think it's the, it's the opportunity and it's the challenge um, is that, you know, Tillamook, it's like you have, you're overseeing a category and you have ownership over the product, which is great. Absolutely. So kind of like you just mentioned, you were the category manager. Um, so could you describe like what your day-to-day is like with that role um, and maybe kind of what other tools that you accumulated over the years that really have helped you take ownership of this job? Yep. Um, yeah. So I'm the category manager for the ice cream category mm-hmm. and Tillamook's or- organized where there's a yogurt category manager and a cheese category manager And so I'm one of the few people that solely thinks about ice cream every day Yeah. because I have um, a ton of cross-functional colleagues that I work with and partner with and collaborate with daily, but 
you know, my R&D counterpart may work on multiple categories or my sales counterparts definitely do. Um, so, you know, I'm one of the few people that really focuses on the ice cream category. And my lens is about what's happening in the category. So what are the macro trends that are happening in ice cream? Um, what are consumers looking for? Um, are, do we have the right products that satisfy consumer needs? Um, and then um, I'm also working on, uh, you know, delivering like the, the profit for the company. So I work with a cross-functional team and there's tons of interdependencies. Um, but at the end of the day, the category manager is responsible for the gross margin. Right. So is that kind of a challenge for you because you kind of transitioning from you were working with, you know, tomatoes, ketchup, spaghetti sauce, broth. Yeah. You had that, the ownership of that product, but it maybe wasn't such on a, on a large scale. Um, do you feel like that responsibility is really motivating for you that you have like that you're the ice cream lady, like everyone knows, <laughs> um, does that feel like really exciting to you when you come into work every day that like I get to sit here and talk about ice cream or I get to study what my consumer is really into this term or this month, yeah. you know, is that exciting for yeah, you? Yeah, it is exciting. Um, it, it is exciting and it's, it's very big picture, but then mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are, you're still, that are less big picture and yeah. very, um, like action oriented and project focused that are day to day. And I think though they all ladder up though to like the big picture. So to give you an example, like one of the responsibilities of my role and my team is what is the, what's the flavor lineup, mm-hmm. right? And flavor is so important in ice cream. And so deciding like in any given year, do we need new flavors and why is it like, is it because um, there's suddenly like crazy consumer demand for cookie dough mm-hmm. or um, is there something that's super on trend, like, you know, lemon curd, like, are there, are there opportunities that we're just not capturing that our, our competitors are? Um, or is there just an op- like a, a void in our portfolio and, and we need to fill it? Um, and so that's really like, you know, that's, it's very day to day. We identify what that flavor is and we work with the R and D team to create that flavor. But then it rolls up to such a big picture thing because it's like, well, does that, I need to make sure that that skew is going to improve my profitability and not hurt my profitability. Mm -hmm. So if that becomes a top seller, is my business better off than it was before? Absolutely. Um, And then how does it impact, you know, how is it impacting my volume and um, is it cannibalizing other skews that, are also profit drivers. And so just, you know, so it's really, there are things that are very um, specific, but they all ladder up into a much bigger picture thing. And so it's helpful to have, I think it's hard to only live, um, you know, like really up high and kind of overlooking. It's kind of helpful to have some, you got to get in the weeds a little bit to understand Mm -hmm. like what's really driving your business. Right. There's a lot of steps to getting to the big picture. Yeah. And it's great that you have the opportunity to kind of have a hand in everything. Yeah. Um, So what kind of challenges are you facing specifically maybe in this industry or at Tillamook in terms of consumer uh, preferences or things that are changing um, maybe just here in Oregon? Mm -hmm. I think, um, 
Well, one of the specific challenges, I think just related to the role is just, um, you know, there's just always lots of things happening, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's lots of opportunity. And I think that's one of the um, awesome benefits of Tillamook is that our ice cream business is doing really well. Consumers love it. Um, it's it's amazing to read the consumer comments that we get. It's crazy. Like, I've never worked on a brand that gets this kind of fan love. It's it's a totally other thing. And um, and so there's lots of things we could do, right? Right. Of course. <laughs> there's lots of potential paths we could go down. And people are asking us all the time, you know, we thought about this or we would love that. And so it's focusing and figuring out where do we want to place our bets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think from a category perspective the challenging piece is that the ice cream world has changed a lot and it's really a lot of the new news lately is happening outside the grocery store okay so you have brands like salt and straw or jenny's um uh ben louis yeah like i'm trying to think of some of these cool scoop shops that seem to be popping up all over the place. Totally. Um, it's very small batch focus, very flavor focused, mm-hmm. like uh, tend to be pretty trend forward. Mm-hmm. So they're creating a lot of the news that's happening in the ice cream world. And so it's changed the relationship of like how consumers try flavors and that path from out of home at the scoop shop to the grocery store has changed. Um, And so for Tillamook, I think part of the challenge is how do we continue, how do we innovate that's true to the brand, but how do we innovate um, that's also true to where we sell our product, which is largely in grocery stores and thinking, you know, thinking through whether there's a larger opportunity to be a bigger part of ice cream culture, especially, you know, in Oregon and California where we have, really strong sales, um, you know, to kind of expand beyond our grocery store role. Absolutely. Um, so are there any kind of like, I mean, we were talking about these very artisanal, like small batch ice cream makers. Um, are there any underdogs like that, that you've really like that have caught your eye maybe, or that you're like, man, we, maybe we should look into what they're doing because it seems like they have the right idea. Um, there's no one that we, you know, I think that there's a lot of brands doing good things. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is that some of the claims and some of like what's happening with those artisanal brands is now becoming like table stakes. Okay. Um, so it's interesting to see, uh, like I'm thinking like McConnell's, like McConnell's is um, a smaller brand based out of Santa Barbara and they have this heritage in like, you know, uh, in dairy. Right. And that's, Tillamook has a heritage in dairy too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it, but they have, um, you know, I think a different perception of being really small batch, mm-hmm. um, and they are being, you know, priced at a super premium in grocery stores. Um, but like, you know, that's one way that they're positioning themselves. I think like flavor for a lot of those brands is how they differentiate. And we've mm-hmm. found that differentiating just based off flavor can be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are always kind of like, we don't have the luxury of, uh, we, you know, just appealing to a small subset of consumers. We're trying to deliver something that appeals to the masses. And um, so there's always a challenge of like, how do we balance and get the right 
balance between what's happening in terms of trends, but also something that we think is going to generate, you know, there's enough interest among our consumer target that it's going to generate the sales that we need just to warrant it being on shelf. Right. Exactly. I think that's kind of like the basic uh, equation for marketer, marketers for who are working in product. Um, because you really have to think like, should we even be innovative? Cause is it going to help us in any way? Or if we stay stagnant forever, no one's going to, you know, think about, Oh, let's go get some crazy right. Tillamook ice yeah. cream kind of thing. Right. Um, and you guys, you have the benefit of having your factory out on the coast, which I think a lot of people see is like, it's a, it's a tourist attraction, but mm-hmm. it's also like a huge, um, pride of Oregon. I think, I think a lot of people, I go out still and I've been there maybe five, 10 times and I still go out every single time I'm on the coast because it's, it feels good to see the product in the place that it belongs. Mm -hmm. Like it seems, I mean, you have a great museum of the history of Tillamook and you can see the people making the product. And I think that hands-on eye on whatever you want to say, um, interaction really creates this culture around Tillamook. Yeah. Um, and I think something that we've talked about before was that Tillamook seems incredibly small, despite there being quite a few employees. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a big business, but mm-hmm. you guys have managed to create this culture and this um, branded focus that's very small and intimate, which I think yeah. gives you the benefit of like, oh, if you wanted to do something a little bit um, like lemon curd or you know something a little bit more trend forward you have that ability to do that because people are like, oh, it's Tillamook, it's small batch, it's um, homey, it's, you know what I mean? Um, Whereas maybe companies like Dryers or Eddie's or something like that wouldn't have that opportunity because everyone knows how big they are. Totally. And it doesn't seem as genuine. Yeah. I think we, you know, we operate almost like a smaller company, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to a lot of our um, brand and product values. You know, we say it's dairy done right. That's our that's our tagline. Um, and I think consumers trust Tillamook, mm-hmm. but I also feel like we're doing we're doing a lot of things that the little guys get credit for that that you know more heritage brands aren't always um, either because we've been doing it for so long or we just aren't we haven't told everyone, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're not getting full credit for it. But I think. You know, I definitely am proud to work on Tillamook because we we do try to source the absolute best ingredients whenever possible. We look to our Pacific Northwest backyard, um, and so like those small batch guys, you know, we are we are definitely believe that we are delivering a really great product. I think you guys are. I agree with yeah. that. Um, so, last question to wrap things up, and this is something I ask every guest I have on. Um, what is one thing that you see people regularly doing that either improves or inhibits their success? Yeah, there's, um, I think there's a couple things. Um, the thing that I know always pays off, um, but can be hard to make the time for is just relationship building. Um, especially as you, you know, climb in your career, um, and you go from being less of a doer, um, to like more of a, like overseer for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. but having, taking the time to have, to build relationships with your colleagues, to build trust, I think is really important, um, because you're, you're going to be in more challenging situations. And so it's important that you have some sort of foundation to lean on. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and I say it's challenging because, right, like meetings and just calendars and, and sometimes it's the thing that's easy to push. Like, you know, you have lunch plans or you have coffee plans. It's like, oh, I can't, can we, can we do that tomorrow or right. this week? Like, I, I just can't, I don't have time for that today. Um, but that, I think if you can, you know, find the time and find the space always pays off. Uh, and then I think the other thing is giving yourself permission to focus. And I say giving yourself permission because you really like no one is going to give you the ability to focus if you don't give it to yourself. Mm-hmm. So um, saying no to things, um, right? The idea that you can't be everywhere. So empowering your team, but really looking for that opportunity to set yourself up for success. Because if you don't take the hour, you know, in the morning to like wrap your head around things or like prep for meetings, it inevitably, you know, you can tell Mm -hmm. and, um, and you have to do that for yourself because no one's going to do that for you. That's a great way to end the podcast. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. I'm really excited for people to hear all about Tillamook. Um, one last, one last thing, actually, (laughs) what's your favorite flavor of Tillamook ice cream? Oh man. Well, <laughs> that's a hard one. Um, I definitely love the chocolate peanut butter. Classic. Classic. Yeah. But like, no, that's a Tillamook. That's a Tillamook flavor. Oh like, yeah. Tillamook does it in a really great way. And then Rocky Road is my all time favorite ice cream flavor. You can't deny Rocky Road. Anything that has that much stuff in it really can't be bad. Yeah, that's good. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Today's show was filmed in Portland State University's Carl Miller Center. This show is brought to you by the Center for Retail Leadership, inspiring change through collaborative experiences between future thought leaders and industry to design the future of retail. For more updates on the show or to find out more about the Center for Retail Leadership, visit our website linked in the show notes. This podcast was edited by ThatCast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience with a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com.